If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and look and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter, dark, utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, um, this is Advent season, and we're uh, talking about some of the names of Jesus. And uh, one of those names is, he is the light of the world. He is the, the light of the world. And, and we li- we're in a time period here, like this Christmas season, where everyone is preoccupied with the question, what is the true meaning of Christmas? Everybody has an answer to that question. Everybody from Charlie Brown to Carly B has an answer. And so it, it's all over the map. And, and the answer is basically the same thing, which is about whatever glows your heart, like whatever makes you feel happy. And, and actually, that's one of the answers. Christmas is about loving people. Christmas is about uh, family. Uh, you know, Christmas is about uh, whatever it is that makes you happy, whatever it is that, that brings love into your life, that is the meaning of Christmas. And uh, I don't know about you, but I was, grew up in the, in the 80s, and in, in the middle of the decade, in 85, there was something called Live Aid, and one of the, in the, it's this deal where they got all these big-name uh, 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 celebrities, and I mean, either, you know, they had the Michael Jackson, they had Holland Oates, uh, they they had uh, Bob Dylan. They they had a, just a, you know Billy. They had them all, and they they sang this song, "We Are the World," right? And you may remember that. Um, it's on YouTube. If you don't remember it, you can watch it. We are the world, and the message in that is that we can make a better place. We just keep on giving, and um, and that's basically how we feel about Christmas. It wasn't about Christmas. It's how we feel. It's like this sense of like. Uh, human optimism that of like it's it's not so bad but it'll get better and we can make it better and uh, I just want you to know I'm gonna go ahead and pile on my like what is the meaning of Christmas you know you've heard a million here's a million one and uh, is that 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 message that I think a lot of us um, either consciously or unconsciously take on board that message isn't just a little bit different than the true meaning of Christmas it is diametrically opposed to what it is really is. Um, most ideologies, philosophies, religions want to cover up the darkness. It's not that bad. It's getting better. There's a silver lining. Just, you know, wait until we get around the corner. Like, it's all going to be like, and there's, here's the promise that's going to make it better. But Christianity and Christmas, when you, when you, when you peel all that back is very raw, very honest, very realistic uh, about the world. And it's, it's bad. And it says, actually, it's worse than you think. 
uh, and it makes a claim on your heart and your mind that is sobering and kind of insulting. That's the message of Christmas. It's sobering and insulting. And there are a few outside of Christianity who are really wanting to embrace the reality of our world. There are a few. One of those is this guy named Bertrand Russell, who was a 20th century atheist philosopher. And he wrote a book called Why I Am Not a Christian, which I do own. Uh, it's, it's an interesting book. And this is what he says. He says, that if there is no God, then consider the logic of your position. And he says, don't try to squirm out of it by singing Christmas carols. If there is no God, then we are an accident. We are chance creatures. We are the result of accidental collision of molecules. But unfortunately, we have evolved into creatures of self-consciousness, self-awareness. And because we are aware of ourselves, we have somehow think we are more noble than rocks and trees, but there is no basis for such a feeling. And so here we are with our consciousness, and our consciousness is a result of a meaningless process. Therefore, our conscience is meaningless but alas, we feel significant. Therefore, he goes on to say, the only logical solution is to build your life, check this out, on, on the foundation of unyielding despair. And holly jolly Christmas to you too. I mean, it's like, what? Basically, what he's saying is that the only way to see life as it is with logic and reason, so like you take off the mask, you really see things for they are, you don't try to ignore reality, you see reality and you think about it logically. The world is dark and there is no hope for it. And that your consciousness, your sense of decency, your sense of we are the world and we can make it a better place comes from a meaningless process. So it is illogical, dumb, and futile. The truth is, darkness is everywhere. Darkness is in our relationships. Darkness is in our governments. It's in our economy. It's in our cities. And if we're really honest, it's, it's in us. Now, the marketers, the politicians, the guru, you know, they, they have a spin. They want to say it's different. It's going to be different. Uh, just, you know, wait around the corner. And, but aren't you tired I am. Are you tired of being lied to? Are you tired of being told to, you know, there's hope around the corner only to get around the corner and being smacked in the face by a two by four. You get cancer. You lose your job. Your spouse is unfaithful. One of your kids goes crazy. But wait a minute, 2020 will be different until it's not. If we're honest, the, the, the picture that Isaiah paints in chapter 8 that we saw, let me show this again, is probably what our lives are like, distressed and hungry, roaming through the land, famished. We'll become, we're enraged. We look upward. We curse the king and our God, curse anyone. Then they will look toward the earth and they will see only distress and only darkness, fearful gloom. Can it get any worse? Oh, yes, it can. And they will be thrust into the utter darkness. Nevertheless, Christmas and Christianity says that the world is darker than the most pessimistic analysts out there. Nevertheless, it has a nevertheless. The world is dark, but nevertheless. Pain and suffering, nevertheless. Death and disease exist, but nevertheless. War and betrayal, nevertheless. Hatred and racism, nevertheless. Christianity and Christmas says it's as bad as it seems. 
but it has a nevertheless. It's not, Christianity isn't just some crutch uh, that says there's a silver lining to every cloud trying to numb the feeling with sentimentality and happy music. Christianity is awe, uh, excuse me, raw, honest, realistic. It says the world is dark and humankind is incapable of making the world a better place. Nevertheless, nevertheless. How do you cope? Do you try to say it's really not that bad? Or do you have a nevertheless? Apart from the truth and reality of Jesus appearing that Christmas morning, every person willing to face the darkness that's in the world has no hope. We can try to avoid reality, or you can try to bury yourself into work and hobbies and relationships and different things. You could try to medicate it away or drink it away. But let me ask you this question. How is that working? And is it sustaining or do you need a stronger dose? And I don't just mean the alcohol, the medication part. I mean like a stronger dose of relationships. We all get to that place in life where we think if I could just get here, then everything, my dreams will come true. And then you get there and what happens? It's not high enough. It's not deep enough. It's not strong enough. You need another dose. The reality is we live in a world that's not chipper. We try to make it chipper. We try to deny it. We try to push it away. But the unmedicated, undiluted, honest evaluation is we live in a dark world. But Christianity and Christmas has it nevertheless. Therefore, we do sing joy to the world, not because there's a sale at Macy's or we got a bonus. Is Macy's still in business, by the way? I need to update my notes. But because 2,000 years ago, on a quiet night in Bethlehem, light came into the picture. Well, what is light? Well, it's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not an ism. It's not a faith system. Light is a person. Because Jesus, who was born in John 8, when he, uh, he declared that phrase that we read, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, light is a metaphor. Sunlight is our most basic source of life. So light is life. Uh, it doesn't only keeps us warm, but it actually produces life. If you remember biology or if you just kind of watch enough apocalyptic movies like I do, you'll know that like if the sun goes away for a couple of years, like the, the plant life goes away and our food chain is gone. And so it, it literally is life. It's not just there for um, illumination or warmth. Light is also a source of truth. Um, like if I'm riding my bike and, I, and there's a tree up ahead, there's a couple ways I can get information about the tree. One is I can run into it. And I'll get some information about the tree. The second thing is um, that I can get information about the tree through light. Light bounces off the tree into my retina and it tells me exactly what the tree looks like, how far away it is, and a bunch of other information. My brain just figures out. That's what light does. Light, light helps us understand our environment. And, and light is, in that sense, ultimate truth, meaning like everything else revolves around it. So like in this room, the light is informing us what the chairs look like, not the chairs aren't informing us what the light is like. Light is also, so it's a source of life, it's a source of truth, it's also a source of joy. In places like Seattle or, or you know, up in the Arctic in the winter or Alaska, places where there's the least amount of sunlight, it, we, we have the highest rates of depression and even suicide. 
So it's a lack of joy. A lack of light is a lack of joy. It's also a lack of beauty. Light brings beauty. It's where colors come from and the rainbow. And I, w- I went to um, the zoo last night with half of St. Louis, apparently, and like stood in line and big crowds and paid $10 to see the beauty in lights. And uh, light, is, light is beauty. And this claim, that, so he's saying that I am life, I am ultimate life, I am ultimate truth, and I am ultimate beauty. I'm the ultimate beauty. And this, and this statement has even more significance when we understand when he was and where he was. So when he made this statement in John chapter 8, it was on the last day of a, of a, of a celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles, right? And so when you read the scriptures and understand the totality of them, you know, the Old Testament. And then there are, there, there are these festivals or celebrations that they, you know, we have Christmas and a few others, but they had like all these different festivals. There was like 50 days of celebrations and they'd take off work and they would have um, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, so they had these big celebrations. One of them was the Feast of Tabernacle. Um, and uh, it was during harvest time. So when they did this, it was during harvest time and, and, and they were celebrating and honoring uh, God's provision in the wilderness. And so because when they're out in the wilderness, they, uh, they didn't have provision. And so they had this feast. One of the things they wanted to remember uh, was God's provision. Um, the other thing is they, want, they lived in these little booths because they didn't have places to stay. And so they lived in these really small little things to remember that, they did, that God provided that for them. They, also, uh, they would also pour water in this, in this uh, little uh, trough that would come out of the temple representing to remember the fact that God gave them water in the desert, all these things that they didn't have that they're now remembering. And then uh, they also uh, remembered how he was light to them. And they had this, Jesus was standing in verse... Uh, 20 of chapter 8, it says he was standing in front of the treasuries where they had this big candelabra that, was, that they would light up on every night of the feast. And it was so big and so bright, light would shine out of the temple into the streets and there were music and dancing. It was just a real celebration of, who, of what God had done. And they were remembering the light that God was for them in the wilderness, that God gave them a cloud by day to guide them. And then as the sun went down, this cloud began to glow and became a pillar of fire at night. And when they needed protection, this cloud would come down and destroy its pursuers. You can read about that if you, you know, read the Old Testament. And wherever this cloud went, they followed it. Well, what was this cloud? What was this pillar? Well, in, in Exodus 13, we, we read this. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire. So this was God. God was the cloud. God was the pillar of fire. God was the light. He gave them life, and they followed him. And every night of the feast, they would light up this big candelabra. And uh, it was this big night, except on the very last day, the very last evening, which is when Jesus said this and where he said this. Because on this last day, it wouldn't be lit up. They'd be taking the decorations down. They'd be in transition mode. And this, this place, this, this thing that was once lit up is now this, the darkest and coldest place in the area. And I'm sure it was a reminder for everyone present uh, that God had not actually spoken to them in a very long time, more than uh, four centuries, several hundred years. 
Uh, his voice had not been present. They did not experience his glory in the temple or anywhere else. In fact, Ezekiel declared Ichabod, which means the glory of God had gone. And maybe some of us feel that way sometimes. We feel the, the word over our life is Ichabod. The glory is gone. There's not, God's not, not present. But in John chapter 8, Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, and he stands right where the light is supposed to be. And he declares, I am the light of the world. I give life. I give sustenance. I give direction. I am the light. I'm not just teaching vaguely in parables now. I am teaching plainly and, and clearly. And he was crying out, I am the light of the world. I'm not like the prophets who just pointed to the glory of God. I am the glory of God. I'm not just like the, the, the modern, uh, you know, um, abstract. I'm not talking abstract religious jargon. And I, I am, I'm not just pointing to truth. I am this truth. I am the light of the world. Anyone who comes to me, they can drink, they can eat, they experience life, they experience truth, they can experience beauty. And because he is the light of the world, it has some implications for us. It means that we can have eternal life. We can have ultimate life and we can have eternal life. As you know, light existed before the sun. You know, if you read in the beginning of the, light is all throughout the Bible. Light in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, Jesus was involved in creation. He, and he spoke to the dark, formless world. Let there be light. And there was light. And he can speak into your dark, formless life and say, let there be light, and there will be light. And check this out. In, um, in Revelation 20, this light is mentioned again. And scientists will tell you that one day the sun will go away, which is going to destroy the, the world if you understand anything about science. But in Revelation 22, it says there won't be a need for the sun because the glory of God, the light of Jesus will still be shining. And if you, if you receive the light of Jesus... <laughs> Even when the sun passes away, you will still be shining because of him. You will have eternal life. Because of his life shatters all darkness. When he comes into your life, death is gone forever. Number two, it means that he is the source of direct truth and direction. Before Jesus comes into your life, the scriptures teach us that we live in a spiritual blindness. It uses language like we are in a realm of darkness, the domain of darkness, you know, like you're, we, we go from the, the, realm, the domain of darkness into a domain of light. But before Christ, we're in this um, domain of darkness and we're spiritually blind looking. But, and it reminds, like, I can be pretty utilitarian. And so as a bat, bachelor, my, my walls were white, no pictures. And here's the key thing. I had lights overhead with a switch, right? And, uh, I, and if I had my way and my, I had, you know, my furniture I had very little furniture so I could have wide pathways, and very easy to navigate around my house, very utilitarian. In fact, if I had my way, again, I would, I'd have like this low-voltage lighting like you'd see in airplanes and movie theaters to like guide my way. I know it doesn't look good, but that's, that's, that's not what I value. So, but I, I marry a woman that doesn't do things that way, all right? Uh, my girl has style, so she buys lamps. I mean, lots, some people buy lots and lots. Of, she buys lots and lots of lamps. And, um, and so we have so many lamps in our house, it's like an actual chore, so you, so what you, you know, you can you can like clean up after Thanksgiving dinner, or you can turn off all the lights, uh, and they're both about equal, take about equal amount of time. Like it just there's, and they're all in these weird places, and like you know, no two lamps are the same, so they turn them off in different ways, and you have to. And so I wake up early, and you know, I again, so in my world, 
I would have low voltage lighting guiding the way and a little switch on the side, very simple. So you have to like, I'm like, I get up, it's still dark outside. I'm like groping through my house, tripping over stuff. And it's taken me a long time to respect, you know, what my wife's doing here because I have a lot of bruised shins, a lot of stubbed toes. I've stepped on plenty of Legos, which is really, really painful if you've ever done it. And um, I'm groping around in the darkness. And the Bible says that before Christ, we're like that. We're groping around in the darkness, trying to find our way, tripping over things, stubbing our toe, bruising our shins. But ultimately, we stumble into death, a permanent death. Jesus says, I am the truth. I want to bring you into to light, into reality. I want to give you direction. You know, to the Israelites, he gave them a cloud and fire. And today he gives us this word and a spirit to guide us in this life and to show us ultimate reality. He's also the ultimate source of, of, of joy and beauty. And so when the sun uh, begins to come out in, in more distinct ways in the spring, it melts the snow and it causes things to grow. And when, you st- when Jesus stops being just an inspirational example to you and he actually becomes your light, you'll notice that things change in you. Things grow. Things melt away and things grow in your life. And, this, and you begin to bloom and you begin to bear fruit. And there's a beauty of Christ that's in you that wants to bear fruit. And actually, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 5. He says that you are the light of the world. Don't hide that light. Don't hide that light but put it on display so that everyone could see your good works. And that word good there is really the word that means beautiful. So everyone see your beautiful works. Because when Christ comes in your life, he, he, he puts something in you that when you live, when you, when you follow him, he brings it. He begins to change you from the inside out. How can this be true for you? Well, in the second part of uh, of John eight twelve that we read, it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the key here is to follow him. The good news of, of Christmas isn't that he sent us a list of rules to follow, but a person to follow, which on one hand makes it the, the good news better, right? We don't have to do a lot of stuff. We talk about it all the time, you know, it's grace and da, 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 da. But on the other hand, it's elusive to us because if the truth be told, our egos would rather earn it than receive it. What do I mean? Well, because to follow Jesus means to admit that you're in darkness, that you're a terrible leader of your life, that you don't know what you're doing, and you're not the world. You can't make this world a better place. That's why this great news has a narrow path, not a wide path. You don't just need to turn over a new leaf. You need to turn over a new life. That's why it's helpful to, uh, to remind ourselves during Christmas how Jesus came to us. Jesus came to us through the most humbling circumstances. He's, he was born in a podunk nothing town. I mean, you may be from one of these towns, right? And you just like, you don't even want to talk about it because you just, it's just, I don't want to talk about where I'm from. Well, he was from whatever that is times 10. In fact, there was a famous saying that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of where Jesus comes from? And the answer, people, it was no, nothing good can come out of there. That's where Jesus was born. Not only that, he was born in a manger. He was born in the most humblest of circumstances to show us the way to the Father. Jesus humbled himself to save you. You must humble yourself to be saved. You must come to this place to admit, you know what, there's darkness out there, but it's not just out there. 
It's in here. There's problems in the world, but there's even bigger problems. I mean, here's the really cool thing. When Jesus becomes your life, it becomes a sustaining thing. It becomes something that builds and builds with confidence the longer you live. And in fact, John, who wrote this gospel that we're reading about, uh, there are four gospels um, in the Bible, basically biographies, and John wrote one of them. He was one of the 12. And when he wrote this, when he took note of what Jesus said, he wrote it uh, 80 years after the birth of Christ. And uh, Jesus uh, had already grown up to be a man. He performed miracles. He died on the cross, sent into heaven. And then the church took off uh, from there, 120, became thousands and thousands. We'll actually uh, go through the book of Acts and learn about the story of how the church uh, got started. We'll go through the book of Acts starting uh, in January. And uh, so the church experienced lots of success, but also experienced lots of persecution. Uh, many of its people, especially its leaders, were persecuted. And John was one of those. So he, he was persecuted and he was, he was exiled to this island of Patmos. And he begins to write the story of Jesus. And uh, when he's doing that, uh, when John, after he'd seen everything that Jesus had seen, he saw it all, he heard it all, he saw his miracles, his teaching, the empty tomb ascending to heaven, and he had been exiled into Patmos. And he makes a summary statement of all of what Jesus had done and all of who he is um, in the very beginning of his, of his gospel, of his uh, biography account in John 1. And I, here's what I need you to pay attention to. I want you to um, pay attention to um, the, 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 the tense of what he says, and I'll explain it here in a minute. He says this about Jesus after, from this island. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. All men, all mankind is what that is. All mankind, it was for the shepherds and the wise men. It was for the somebodies and the nobodies. It was for uh, the poor, the rich, the white, the black. It's for everyone. And then he moves from the present tense. So he says, or sorry, the past tense. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And he moves to the present tense. He says that light shines. It's still shining. It's still shining. In 80 AD and in 2018, the light shines in the darkness. And check this out. The darkness has not overcome it. Now, he didn't write that in a, in a, in a plush throne. He didn't write that in, in comfort. He wrote that as a, as a victim of persecution. He was exiled. He was alone. But the confidence of Christ in him was so bright and so real to him, he was able to say, pen from that letter or from that island, the light has shined. The light continues to shine in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you have a robust hope like that? That no matter where you're at circumstantially, that the light of Christ is so in you that it doesn't really matter. You can stay. The darkness has not overcome it. Christ wants to fill you with that kind of confidence. People have tried to snuff out Christ and his light over the years, and they become a footnote in history. But we can, we can look at, after all these uh, hundreds and, and now thousands of years, that Christ coming to earth, that a light has shone. And millions and billions of people now have come to know saving faith in him. But what about you? What's your story going to be? You can check out of reality and try to stay chipper, seeing we are the world or whatever your version is. 
You can check into reality and in the hardness of your heart, wallow in despair. Or you can have your life punctuated with a nevertheless. Yeah, it's dark and I am dark. Nevertheless, Christ has shown into my life. That was John's testimony at the end of his life. In him was life and that life is the light of men. That light continues to shine and darkness has not overcome it. You want to kill that darkness? Here's what you need to do. You need to receive this. I know this is Christmas. I know it, this may seem harsh, but until you realize that you're part of the problem, you'll never experience or be a part of the solution. To receive Christ, to receive this light, is to admit there's darkness in you. There's darkness in you to receive this light. And if you, are, if you have received this light, can I just encourage those of us who are Christians here uh, to be a witness to the light? We have this amazing opportunity to be a witness. So how can we be a witness to the light? Well, you live consistently. Live consistently. Are you, are you trying to solve your problems with non-Christian solutions? And what I mean by that is like you're just trying to, you're just trying to plunge yourself. Uh, you know, there's darkness out there and you're trying to plunge yourself into things to keep you buoyant, to keep you happy. So you plunge yourself into relationships. You plunge yourself into your work. You plunge yourself into money, into whatever it is. And that becomes the leader of your life. That becomes your hope. That becomes what you're leading. You're, you're living to bring those things into your life. The Christian, the solution to their problem is him. He's the light of the world. He is life. He is truth. He is beauty. So live consistently. Live consistently. And then secondly, uh, live compassionately. If the world is really as dark, if it's half, if it's 10% as dark as Isaiah, another Bible reader, says it is, we need to see the people that we encounter every day as being in a pretty hopeless situation without Christ. So Jesus, he, when he walked the earth, he looked at the crowds and he says, he, he says I see, he was moved with compassion because he saw them as hurting and it's helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They had no light. They had not received the light. Do we, do we live that way? Are we running from paycheck to paycheck, job to job, you know, hobby to hobby, activity to activity, relationship to relationship? Are we like, oh my gosh, the world is dark, and people outside of Christ are in utter darkness. They're being plunged into utter, utter darkness. And Jesus is the hope. You have an opportunity to be a witness by living consistently, by, by putting on display these good works so they could see Christ in you. But secondly, it means to live compassionately by telling other people. And my hope is that, that, would be a, that this, would, this would transform how you live, but just I have to be remiss if I didn't say you have an amazing opportunity next week. It's just a really easy, low-bar opportunity to tell someone. Or as Dylan said, tell 10 someones. Invite them. And maybe, maybe it's like you weren't even planning to be here because there was something going on. And I realize people have put, but man, it'd be a great opportunity. See, man, the world is dark. And I can bring, the true meaning of Christmas isn't stuff, family, relationships. It is bringing light to, to this dark, dark world. And you have opportunity to do that. You have an opportunity every day of the year, but you have an amazing opportunity here in the next week. And I want to invite you to live consistently and compassionately. Why don't we stand?